Section 27 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 84. The Rocks, Friday, May the 31st, 1680. Notwithstanding, this letter will not go till Sunday. I am resolved to begin it today that I may date once more in the month of May. I fear that of June, but appears still longer to me. I am certain, however, of not seeing so fine a country as the one I have left. There is a month in the year in which it rains every day. This is owing to your prayers. Why will you not leave Providence a little to itself? Sometimes too much rain sometimes too great drought. You were never contented. God forgive me, but this puts me in mind of the story of Jupiter in Lucian, who was so wearied with the incessant importunities of mortals that he sends Mercury to inquire into the matter and at the same time orders ten thousand bushels of hail to fall upon Egypt to stop their mouths. I will no longer oblige you to answer me on the subject of the divine providence, which I so greatly revere, and which, in my opinion, commands and orders everything in the world. I am persuaded you will not dare to treat this opinion as an inconceivable mystery with the disciples of your father Descartes. It would be indeed inconceivable that God should have made the world and not direct all that passes in it. Those who make such fine restrictions and contradistinctions in their writings speak much more freely and with greater truth on the subject when they have no crooked policy to govern them. These cut purses are very agreeable in their conversation. I shall not mention their names, because I fancy you guess the principal one. The others are the Abbé Dupille and Monsieur Dubois. Footnote. Dubois of the French Academy, who translated several works of Cicero into St. Augustine. Back to main text. The Abbé Dupille and Monsieur Dubois, whom you are acquainted with, and who has an infinite share of wit. Poor Nicole is still in the Ardennes. Footnote, the forest of Ardennes in the Low Countries, back to main text. And Monsieur Arnaud buried underground, like a mole. Footnote. After the death of Madame de Longueville, these able writers, fearing persecution, left France. Arnaud retired into the Low Countries, where he lived long, unknown and in poverty. He remained there till his death. Nicole, more conciliating and less dreaded, returned to France. He figured in the quarrel of Bossuet and Fenelon. He supported the former, but with prudence and moderation. Back to main text. But whither is my pen running? This is not what I meant to say to you. I intended to tell you that I received your letters at the place where we dined the day I left Nantes, and that, having no other means of conversing with you at so great a distance, the reading of them forms an occupation preferable to every other. 
We found the roads greatly improved between Nantes and Rennes, thanks to the care of Monsieur de Chaune. But the incessant rains we have had of late have made them as if two winters had followed close upon each other. We were continually in sloughs or rivers of water. We did not dare to cross over by Chateaubriand for fear of being unable to get further. We arrived at Rennes on Ascension Eve, and dear good Marboeuf was ready to devour me. Nothing would satisfy her but my taking up my abode for a time at her house. But I refused. I would neither sup nor sleep there. The next day she gave me a very elegant public breakfast when the governor and every person of note in the town came to visit me. We set out again at ten o'clock, though everybody assured me that I had time enough before me and that the roads were like this room, for that, you know, is the usual comparison. However, we found them so much like this room that we did not get there till after midnight and were all the way up to the axle trees in water. And from Vitre to this place, a road I have passed a thousand and a thousand times. It was impossible to know it again. The causeways are become impassable. The ruts are sunk to a frightful depth. The little inequalities are perfect mountains and caverns. In a word, finding that we could no longer find our way, we sent to Pilois for help. He came accordingly bringing with him about a dozen stout country fellows, some of whom held up the carriage, while others went before with wisps of lighted straw. And all spoke such a jargon that we were ready to die with laughing. At length, thus attended, we arrived here, our horses jaded, our people dripping, our carriage almost broken down, and ourselves tolerably fatigued. We made a very light supper, went to bed, slept heartily, and this morning when we awoke, we found ourselves safe and sound at the rocks, but very much out of sorts. I had taken the precaution to send a servant before us that we might not come into the midst of a dust of four years' standing, and we are tolerably decent at least. We've been entertained with a great number of visitors from Vitre, such as the Recollets, Mademoiselle du Plessis, still in tears for her mother, etc., etc. But I had not a moment's comfort till I had got rid of them all, which was about six o'clock in the evening, and had spent a little time in my woods with honest Pilois. The walks and alleys are really enchanting. There are half a dozen new ones you have never seen. By the by, be under no apprehension about my exposing myself to the damps. I know it would make you angry if I did, and that is sufficient to deter me. You always tell me that you are in good health, and so does Montgobert. And yet I cannot help thinking that the plan of plunging twice a day into the Rhone can only suit a person whose blood is violently heated. I entreat you, my child, to consult a very grave and learned author in regard to the effects bathing may have upon your lungs. You know, I was witness to the evident injury you sustained from your half-baths. 
though they were advised by Fagon. Footnote post, position to Louis the Fourteenth. back to main text. You must certainly have stood in need of all your strength to support the numerous visitors you have had. Twenty persons extraordinary at table makes me start a little. These are whole retinues, as Corbinelli used to call them when he found himself so crowded in your drawing-room, and neither saluted nor took notice of anyone. It must be owned that your house is the most frequented of any in the country. This is living at rack and manger. Do you remember when we had all the fouinel here, with what impatience we waited for the happy minute when they were to take their leave, how cheerfully we bid them adieu in our hearts, and how terrified we were, lest they should yield to the false entreaties we made them to stay, how our hearts bounded when we saw them fairly gone, and our reflections, how much bad company was preferable to good, the latter occasioning pain when they leave us, whereas the departure of the other takes a weight from the mind and restores it to freedom. Do you remember all this, and how perfectly we enjoyed ourselves upon the occasion? Madame de Coulanges writes me word that Madame de Maintenon has lost a cane to the Dauphin. Madame de Coulanges has ordered it to be made. The head is a pomegranate of gold studded with rubies. It opens and discovers the miniature picture of the Dauphiness, with these words underneath. Il più grato nasconde. Footnote. The greatest charms are concealed. Back to main text. Clement formerly made this device for you. But that which seemed an exaggeration when applied to you is perfectly true with regard to this princess. The beautiful Fontange still continues very ill. My son tells me they pass their time very pleasantly at Fontainebleau. Corneille's comedies are the delight of the whole court. I have written to my son that it must be a great pleasure to be obliged to be there, to have a master, a place, and the favour of the great. And had it been my case, I should have been extremely fond of that part of the world, that the contrary was the sole reason of my removing to such a distance from it, that this kind of contempt was in fact the result of disappointment and vexation, and that I abused it out of pure revenge, as Montaigne says of youth. In short, that I wondered how he could prefer passing his time as I do with Mademoiselle du Plessis and Mademoiselle de Launay to spending it in the midst of all that is gay and great. What I say for myself, my child, I say in reality for you. For do not imagine, if Monsieur de Grignon and you were situated agreeably to your merit, that you would have any dislike to such a life. But it does not please Providence that you should arrive at more greatness than you at present possess. As to myself, I have seen the day when little, very little, was wanting for fortune to have placed me in the most agreeable situation in the world. 
when, all of a sudden, the scene changed to imprisonment and exile. Footnote. Madame de Sévigné alludes to the banishment of Monsieur de Bussy, the chief of her house, and the confinement of Monsieur de Fouquet, her intimate friend, to which may be added the exile of the Arnauds, and further back still, the misfortunes of Cardinal de Retz, her relation and friend, back to main text. Do you think my fortune has been the happiest in the world, yet I am content? Or if I have my moments of murmuring, it is not on my own account. Your description of Madame D's conduct is very amusing. It is a sort of economy in love worthy of Armida. You seem to believe that Monsieur de Rouillet will not return. I am sorry for it, and I should be still more so were it not that I believe your stay in Provence almost at an end, and consequently that you can have little occasion for him. If anything is to be done in the assembly, the coadjutor will give a good account of it, in the absence of Monsieur de Grignon. Letter 85 the Rocks, Wednesday, June the 5th, 1680. At length I have the pleasure at this immense distance from each other to receive your letters on the ninth day after they are written with the prospect of happier times before me. I often admire the great kindness and civility of those gentlemen of whom the author of Moral Essays speaks so humorously and to whom we are so indebted. What do they not do for us? To what offices do they not submit to be useful to us? Some run four or five hundred miles to carry our letters. Others, at the hazard of their necks, climb to the tops of our houses to prevent our being incommoded by the rains, and others suffer still more. In short, this is an arrangement of providence. And the thought of gain, which is in itself an evil, becomes converted into a source of good. I have brought a number of the best authors with me, which I have been arranging this morning. There is no looking into them, whichever it may be, without a desire to read it through. Some are religious tracts that do honour to the faith they maintain. Others, books of history, the best of their kind besides ethics, poetry, novels, and memoirs. The romances are in disgrace and banished to a by-closet. When I enter this little library, I wonder how I am able to leave it again. In short, my child, it is altogether worthy of your presence, and so are my walks. But for the company, it is very far from being so. There is a strange skimming of the pot on Sundays. Footnote, on account of the number of visitors, which was always greatest on Sundays, and to whom Madame de Savigny thought herself obliged to do the honours of her house, which she humorously called skimming her pot. Back to main text. One good thing, however, is that they sup at six o'clock and leave me to fly to my lawns and groves for relief. Mademoiselle Duplessis, in her deep mourning, never quits me. 
I could well save her mother as of Monsieur de Bonnet. She has left a very ridiculous daughter behind her. She is so impertinent, too. I am really ashamed of her regard for me, and I sometimes say to myself, is it possible there can be any sympathy between her and me? She talks incessantly, but by the grace of God, I am to her, as you are to many others, absolutely dead. I do not hear three words she says. She is at daggers drawn with all her family about her mother's will. This is a new embellishment to the former beauties of her mind. She confounds the meanings of everything she says, and when she is complaining of the ill-treatment she receives, she cries, They have used me like a barbarity, like a cruelty. You will have me entertain you with such trash, and now I hope you've had enough for a time. My letters are of such an enormous length that you ought, according to your rule, to make yours to me very short, and leave all the rest to Mungo Bear. Health is at all times a real and intrinsic treasure that will serve us on every exigency. Madame de Coulanges has written me a thousand trifles that I would communicate to you, but that I think it would be absolutely ridiculous. The favour of her female friend, Madame de Maintenon, still continues. The Queen accuses her of the cause of the distance between her and the Dauphiness. The King comforts her for this disgrace. She visits him every day, and their conversations are of a length that surprises everybody and gives occasion to numberless conjectures. I consider futurity as a dark road in which the traveller may find light and accommodation when he least thinks of it. Monsieur de Lavardin is going to be married in good earnest. Footnote to Louise Anne de Noailles, sister to Anne Julius, Duke de Noailles and Marshal of France, back to main text. And Madame de Moussy, footnote, Marie de Arlay, sister to Achille de Arlay, at that time Attorney-General, and afterward first president of the Parliament of Paris, back to main text. And Madame de Moussy is said to be the person who inspires Madame de Lavardin with the idea of doing everything that can prove advantageous to her son. Yes, de Moussy must certainly have a most extraordinary soul. Young Molac is to marry the Duchess of Fontange's sister. The king gives him to the value of 400,000 francs with her. How just is your observation upon the death of Monsieur de la Rochefoucauld and to so many other friends? The ranks close, and he is seen no more. It is certain that Madame de Lafayette is overwhelmed with grief, and cannot feel as she would have done at another time the good fortune of her son. The Dauphiness was particular in her attentions to her, the Princess of Savoy has spoken of her as her best friend. I am very glad my letter pleased Monsieur de Grignon. I spoke my mind with great sincerity. He must divest himself of all those ruinous whims 
which take their turns with him by the quarter. They must not merely sleep, like the nobility of Lower Brittany, but be altogether extinct. Adieu, my beloved child, I admire and love your letters, and yet I will have no more of them. Cut short, and leave Montgobert to prattle in your stead. I shall try to take from you the desire of writing much by the length of my letters. You shall find them beyond your strength to answer, which is just what I wish. So shall I be a shield to you. I am of opinion that you have a numerous correspondence upon your hands, say what you will. For my part, I only stand upon the defensive in my answers. I never begin the attack. But then even these seem of such a bulk that on post days, when I retire to my chamber at night and see my writing desk, I am ready to run under the bed to hide myself, like our late Madame's little dog, whenever it saw a book. End of section 27